And this year, it seems there's only one thing we want on our Christmas lists and everyone is talking about it. Booster campaign. Booster jabs. Our booster campaign. Boosters. The booster. I'd be jabbing it right into my arm (laughs) if I had it. And why the urgency this week? It's because... The Omicron variant of the COVID-19 virus is exploding throughout Europe. Tisha Michal Martin addressing the nation last night as heard on Drive Time. I spoke with European leaders yesterday and the level of concern about what is coming is the highest that I have seen. We are still in the early days of this new wave and data is still being collected. But already it is very clear that we are dealing with a hugely transmissible strain of the disease with studies showing that it is many times more transmissible than the Delta variant. So hold on to your Santa hat and add another log to the fire. We have decided that the following restrictions will be introduced from this Sunday until the 30th of January. All restaurants and bars, excluding takeaways or delivery services, must close at 8pm. There should be no indoor events after 8pm. For indoor events scheduled earlier in the day, attendance should be limited to 50% of venue capacity or 1,000 people, whichever is lower. Attendance at all outdoor events should be limited to 50% of venue capacity or 5,000 people, whichever is lower. The Taoiseach went on to outline other restrictions and then ended on this note. But the unique resilience, solidarity and trust in science that has marked Ireland out across the world will get us through this too. This Christmas, please, please be safe and look after each other. Reaction to the restrictions was swift. We're going to go back to John Cook now, who's in Taylor's Bar in Dominic Street in Galway. Um, and John, you broke the news. I think you were the first to break the news uh, that it's going to be an 8pm uh, close down as opposed to 5pm, which is what Neff had recommended. Uh, what sort of reaction are you getting there this evening? Yeah, and a lot of customers just stopping here in Taylor's Bar to say to us, well, what have you heard since? (laughs) As if somehow we were the direct line to Cabinet. It's 8 o'clock, I've just told some customers there. And the reactions are shock and disbelief to various expletives. Johnny uh, Duggan is the proprietor here at Taylor's Bar and and Beer Garden and the Vintners Federation chair here in, uh, in Galway as well. Johnny, what do you say? Terrible decision, absolutely terrible. Can't understand it. If you can open till 8, why can't you open till 12? And you said earlier on you didn't feel that you should have to go along with this, that the publicans have had enough. Well, what will you do from Sunday night? Well, it remains to be seen. I mean, the, the, the mood around the country is we just don't understand the decision. So here we are gearing up for another kind of peculiar Christmas. And even the most cheerful man at the station, Ryan Tuberty, was feeling it. As I was driving along and it's very, very un-Christmassy around the place. You have all the lights and you have all the trees, but the vibe is, is a little bit peculiar this year. And, and I asked people, I said, do you, do you feeling it's a bit um, uh, odd Christmas vibe-wise? I said, yes, the pandemic is, it's, it's hard. Ryan on Thursday. And if he'd been listening to Morning Ireland earlier, you can see why his Christmas vibe was wavering. I've heard some of your colleagues saying they have never been more concerned at any time in this pandemic. Why is this Omicron variant causing so much anxiety? Mary Wilson putting this question to Dr Margaret Harris from the World Health Organisation and Dr Harris was clear in her response. It's the speed of the growth of the spread. Uh, this one is has developed the ability to spread so much faster than the previous variants. With the growth in the number of people infected, even if the early reports out of South Africa are supported by what we see in Europe, you will still have many, many more people in hospital than our hospitals can manage. 
And we're going to need a lot more mince pies to help us deal with this vibe. We're preparing for that Unfortunately, we have to face COVID again. And here at home, Dr Mary Favier spoke in Morning Ireland about what she and her colleagues are facing into this Christmas. There's likely to be a a very big surge of, of COVID illness with the new Omicron variant. It's very much more infectious. It's thought to be two, three, even four times more infectious. Thankfully, causing less serious illness, but the sheer volume of cases is likely to give us difficulty. So at the moment, we're getting about 15 people in hospital for every thousand infections, very much down from the 50 per thousand before vaccination. So very good. And even if Omicron only gave you five per thousand, which would be so much better, if you have 10 times more cases, unfortunately, you've now got 50 people in hospital instead of five for the numbers. And it's it's a really significant surge. And so general practitioners, like all those in the health services, are preparing for that. People should remember that if they have a COVID positive test tomorrow, they are now in self-isolation on Christmas Day. So it's our personal behaviours in the next few days that will make a difference to how we manage Christmas and how we manage the next surge. As we know, the call has gone out and the booster campaign has been ramped up, with GPs and pharmacies working flat out to increase the take-up. But what about restrictions? Adrian Cummins from the Restaurant Association of Ireland was on Morning Ireland on Friday talking about the effect that restrictions are having on his industry. We have to start to live with COVID. I agree with the the Minister for Higher Education during the week. We need a plan to live with COVID and we've been calling for this. And it now draws into question all the different measures that hospitality has brought to bear and brought on board to try and keep businesses open. We're now into the position of more financial sports for our industry. That has to, we have to engage with, with government with immediate effect on that because we're in a very precarious position for our industry a number of days out from Christmas. As Adrian has said there, we are implementing the COVID passes and doing ID checks at the moment and we've social distancing. So most pubs are operating, you know, in a secure fashion and we would hope that they would trust the people to enjoy themselves and have a little socialisation in the run-up to Christmas. We've been fighting very hard all summer and into the autumn to get our teams back up. As heard on Morning Ireland, but the growing concern about the strain that all this is putting on our health services was a theme this week. Health service, we just don't seem to get the resource for that. On Friday in the gathering, Kevin Doyle made this point. And like it's curious in the in the last few minutes, Leo Varadkar is tweeting about how they the hospital numbers are down to four hundred and twenty today, which is forty percent from the peak that we had a few weeks ago when we were worried at that stage about the Delta wave. And he's basically saying we've now we're winning the fight against Delta, but here comes Omicron. And um that is the problem for the health service now is that you're going to see elective surgeries cancelled, you're going to see elective admissions cancelled uh, and January is looking very, very bleak. And For all its faults in the start, the booster campaign has picked up pace and we're still not able to cope with it. So it's very hard to see how we get out the other side of this mm-hmm. unless we do something with the health service. On Morning Ireland, Owen DeBarra, consultant in infectious diseases at Beaumont Hospital, gave his view and hold tight onto your reindeers, it could be a bumpy ride. For those of us in the hospital setting and and my GP colleagues and public health colleagues, it feels a little bit like last Christmas where um, we were really daunted as what we were going to be coming into, you know, the early days after Christmas. I think, you know, it's true what nobody really knows what's going to happen. We're looking at data from South Africa, from the UK, from Denmark, but every country is a little bit different in its previous exposure, its vaccination status and how the country responds. But I think it seems very likely we're going to see very high numbers of cases and that's going to have sets of different sets of impacts. 
What exactly that means for the numbers of patients that end up sick and in hospital, we don't know. But almost certainly it's going to have impact on staffing levels and the ability to deliver care. And as Owen DeBar mentioned there in Morning Ireland, much of the early coverage of the Omicron variant came from South Africa. On a Monday's drive time, for more, I'm joined by uh, Professor Richard Lascelles, Infectious Diseases Specialist at the University of KwaZulu-Natal in Durban in South Africa, who was one of the first people to sound the alarm about the new variant. Professor Lascelles, thank you very much indeed for joining us again on Drive Time. You're very welcome to the programme. Having spoken to him three weeks ago, they caught up with him on Monday evening. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was three weeks ago. We kind of lose track of time. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, now we're seeing the similar pattern across the whole country. We're seeing the same rapid rise in in cases. So over 95% of the cases now are Omicron based on our kind of genomic surveillance. We're seeing now a rise in hospitalizations, although, although we are still seeing a bit of a disconnect that the, the, the kind of rate of, of hospitalization rising is, is not as uh, steep as the, as the rise in cases. Mm-hmm. So that is incredible, isn't it, in one way, that, that it started, quote unquote, three weeks ago. In case numbers then, it went from zero to what now? So, so we're recording about 20,000 cases a day, but we know from previous waves that, that the, because of the amount of testing we do, we, we probably only pick up about one in 10 or, or, or even fewer of the infections. So 20,000 reported cases probably means that at least 200,000 infections happening every day. So it, it, it is very rapid, the spread of, of, this, of this variant. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're starting to see, as you said, in the, in the UK and, and some other countries where they're tracking the spread very, very closely. But while COVID dominated the airwaves this week, attention was paid too to the release of the Brandon Report. On Thursday, the Donegal TD Thomas Pringle was on drive time to discuss the Brandon report, which had detailed the sexual abuse of intellectually disabled adults in a HSC facility in Donegal over many years, with the full knowledge of management. He had raised concerns after a whistleblower had approached him in 2016. So what did he have to say? The fact that this abuse was allowed to continue for so long in the the centre and that Brandon was able to abuse 18 different individuals um, and despite the staff raising this with management and going to the effect of writing to a senior disciplinary management team, the management still refused to deal with it and it went on through the, the process and even when I raised it with management, it was extremely slow in terms of them actually dealing with it as well, which is, I have concerns about. And even when we, we go as far as today, where the HSE have finally de- published the executive summary of the report, that at this stage, um, the, in the jaws of Christmas, along, the whole way along this process has been, at every level within the HSE, has been foot-dragging and um, not admitting to their responsibility. And I think that has been the most shocking and disturbing thing in, in relation to this. Thomas Pringle there on Drive Time. On Thursday evening, as the doyle winds down towards Christmas, in late debate they took the chance to reflect on the year and give out their awards. And this year the late debate Politician of the Year award went to... So now we are at our prestigious Politician of the Year award. Do we have that drum roll up there?
Michael, who are you nominating? Uh, Mary Lou MacDonald. You know, uh, the polls tell it all. Sinn Féin's leading the polls, which is quite astonishing. If you you look at the way things were a few years ago and her performance in the Dáil. Philip? Yes, similarly so. Like, look, if you're going to judge a politician and the only metric for judging political cess is popularity, isn't it? And Philip Ryan, are you nominating <laughs> Mary Lou MacDonald as politician like, look, of the year? How else are you going to measure uh, success in politics other than popularity? And say what you like about Mary Lou MacDonald and Sinn Féin. They are, like, they are, look, a cynical political opposition party. And if anybody thinks back to any of the other parties in opposition, they're similarly cynical. Obviously, they've got the baggage of, uh, do you know, their strange yeah. attitude to murder and mayhem, uh, which is unusual in Irish politics in, the, in, in this half of the, the century anyway. But look... She's gone from, okay. what is it, 22% or 23% in the general election to 35% okay. in the last opinion okay, poll? I'm, okay, I have to... Can't I have argue to, with that. Can't I never argue thought with that. I'd see the day. Yeah, I never I know. thought I'd see the day there, Philip. But, Are you being um, pick, picked up off the floor there, Christina? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're so Can I get your nomination quickly, Christina? We're nearly out Mary, of time. Mary Lou MacDonald. Uh, yeah. Paul? Yeah, I, I had nominated Helen McEntee, but like you said, if you're at 37% in the polls, it has to be Mary Lou MacDonald, doesn't it? Kate? I just have to nominate Ivana Batchik for the by-election. <laughs> Some laughter there at the end of late debate. So Mary Lou MacDonald won their Politician of the Year. Can't top an award ceremony, so we'll take a break. Playback on RTE Radio 1. Christmas is the best time of the year. This day next week, hopefully you'll be up to your neck in wrapping paper, turkey preparations and jingle bells accompanying you all the way. But today you're more likely to be up to 90, waiting for online packages to arrive and desperately hoping for last-minute inspiration for Chris Kindle. But why do we stress so much about all this? You shouldn't be stressed about it. Over in Clare on Thursday, they did the sensible thing and handed the airwaves over to the children. And there we got some sage advice. Because you're going to spend a lot of time with your son and your daughter and you shouldn't be stressed because you're going to have a very happy Christmas. So. And as for the big Christmas dinner, don't sweat it, as the pupils of Gaelskun of Funchoigan Churchtown, St Malachy Senior School in Finglas and Skolengus Junior in Talla had strong views on the traditional dinner. Do they even like it? I get chicken wings and um, Christmas beef, Christmas sausage rolls. We usually have a chicken or a lamb or ham. I love it. Because every year my nanny gives the right things. All my family loves her chicken. Normally we have my favourite dinner. I love it. Apart from chicken nuggets and pepperoni pizza and dominoes. It's ramen. It's like really nice. It's just like chicken and noodles soup. What about Brussels sprouts? That's my nightmare. So they just never give me it. Not like, not even if I'm bad. It's Lots of salady stuff because my dad loves salad. And then I don't like any of them. So I normally ask my mom to make chicken curry. Me and my cousin love it. So what my nanny bakes is like she bakes turkey, ham, stuffing, all that nice stuff. But see, I don't eat that stuff. So what I get, I, I get ham, turkey, mashed potatoes. And yeah, because I don't really like that much stuff. And I get ambassies. Because my family's Polish, we don't have, like, turkey. We have this kind of soup. It's called barszcz. It's not the best. I don't really like it, but we have fish, and it's actually pretty good. Some of the children who made me smile for Clare Byrne on Thursday. 
Now, if we take their advice not to stress so much, we should turn our attention at Christmas to instead focus on friendships and to use Christmas to check in on old pals. Well, joining me now are Father Brian Darcy and motivational speaker Declan Coyle, who met about 50 years ago and they were ordained on the same day that they only became close friends in the past decade. And on Miriam on Sunday, we got a glimpse into one such friendship, but one that had an unusual start. Brian, can you remember the first time you met Declan? No, I can't remember the first time. <laughs> <laughs> it obviously had a huge impact on you. <laughs> no, no. The second time I met him was, was when I was in the Grand in Skillen, uh, where I used to have Novena of Hopes. And they were hugely, hugely successful Novenas, mainly because they were given by lay people. And the people said to me, you should get Declan Coyle. And I said, who's Declan Coyle? And they said, he's the best motivational speaker there is. I said, I couldn't afford him. <laughs> I couldn't afford him. I couldn't afford to bring a man like that in extra near the place. So, but, so I rang Declan anyway. And I said, Declan, I explained what I was in great detail. But I said, I wouldn't be able to give you much, you know. And he says, ah, you don't need anything, Brian. I owe you a lot because I'm still no- using your notes from the time you taught me in the communication centre. <laughs> so I said, what? And then Declan... Declan came, took the place, a party was wonderful, wonderful. We had a little chat afterwards and then we discovered that we were in the same day. His path took one and mine took another and we great crack ever since, really. So yeah. was that that novena, actually? I think, Declan, you told Brian about how your paths had crossed decades before. Yeah, I remember being so impressed that the communication centre was just up the road there in Booterstown Avenue. I remember things that Brian said to us that day and he it kind of shocked us after all the theology we got. He'd say, I don't want you ever speaking to anyone about salvation or about redemption. And somebody said to him, well, what do you mean if we don't speak about that? What are we going to speak about? And Brian said, no, don't use words of that. Tell me a story of how you experience salvation or how you experience redemption and we'll find ourselves in your story. But stop using those words. <laughs> Friends Declan Coyle and Father Brian Darcy chatting to Miriam on Sunday. Meanwhile on Ryan... 9.28, uh, great to have your company this Wednesday morning. Uh, let's say good morning to Sandra. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Ryan, how are you? It's nice to talk to you. How's the forum today? Good, good forum. The power of friendship and kindness was in sharp focus on Wednesday when Sandra Ryan joined Ryan on the line. The sun's shining where you are, or what have we got? It is, the sun is shining. There's a few clouds in the sky, but it's a nice dry day. Beautiful walking weather, right? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Sandra, who's now a qualified nurse, came on the line to talk to Ryan about her personal experience relying on the Vincent de Paul at a vulnerable time in her life over 10 years ago, when she lived in Waterford with two young children and was struggling to put food on the table. You're going to take us to that place where no one wants to be this close to Christmas, yeah. looking at two beautiful children yeah. and uh, who are cold. Yeah. Um, what are you thinking regards food, uh, clothes, and then, of course, well, thankfully, Santa will always be there, but you want to get a few little presents yourself and things like that. I felt I had no choice, but I, I contacted St. Vincent de Paul. I don't even know how it came into my mind, but um, I contacted them anyway and told them what was going on. Was that a big step for you to make that call? It was, it was, but it was a big step at the time, obviously. But then afterwards, I was thinking, why were you, like, you know, stressed about it? Why were you ashamed about it? Well, tell me about that. Reluctance. I suppose I kind of felt like I was a failure as a mother. Do you know that I couldn't provide for my, my own children? I felt like I was a failure, but at the end of the day, I was doing everything possible that I could for them. So now when I look back, I think like I've nearly almost repressed the memory of, you know, that time of my life. But when I look back now, I think, you know what? Fair play. Do you know, you've done what you had to do. What's it like ringing Vincent de Paul? 
it was so long ago now, but all, yeah. all I will say is that they were incredibly kind. And they told me, don't worry, we'll, we'll help, do you know? And that was just the most reassuring thing, I think, to be told. There was two gentlemen arrived at my door, two so, so kind, so lovely, so discreet. And they just handed me um, vouchers for a local supermarket. I could get food. They arrived with a bag of toys as well. They um, organised that I'd have a bag of coal delivered every week. So, like, that was huge as well, you know, because there was times that we would have run out of oil and I was waiting on my grant payments to come through so that I could put some oil in the tank. So there was times where we just used to huddle down in the sitting room, you know, with the fire lighting. And uh, thankfully for the St. Vincent de Paul, that bag of coal every week, you know, kept us going and kept us warm. Sandra's now in a wonderful place in her life and she says that the support and the friendship that was shown to her by volunteers at SVP changed her life, allowing her to stay in college and to safely rear her children. And now? This is a happy story. Yeah. Which I'm glad to say. I have to say that St Vincent de Paul played a big part in me staying in college as well. I was at such a desperate state that I, I was considering dropping out, but I stuck with it. And yeah, so I qualified in 2012 and I'm currently working for the HSE now in a hospital down in Cork in an endoscopy unit. Good on you. And who's David? David is my wonderful husband. Yeah, we got married then in 2016. And who's Daniel? Daniel is our gorgeous little boy. Oh, come on. Um, this story gets better. <laughs> Congratulations. He'll be four in February. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you're doing us a great service today. You know, this is where your money goes when you yeah. donate to something like Vincent de Paul. It's great in that sense. Sandra Ryan there, talking to Ryan Tuberty on Wednesday's programme on the power of reaching out to others in the community. And friendship has been a theme this week on the airwaves. And it's been bittersweet, as Christmas reminds us of lost friends too. But Christmas is a time when we celebrate their lives and reflect on them. On Bowman and Sunday, one of County Kerry's most popular sons who we lost this year was on John Bowman's mind. Brendan Connelly, poet and novelist, was born April 1936 in Ballylongford in County Kerry and died in October last year. John Bowman brought us part of the compelling interview that Brendan Connelly had had with John Quinn. In it, Brendan had spoken about the influence that growing up in Ballylongford had had on him starting with the customers that he used to serve in his father's pub. I used to come home and go into the pub and draw on pints for fellas. But that was my first introduction to the curious freedom in conversation that marks a good pub. And I heard a lot of stories, I heard a lot of songs. I often think still, after 30, 35 years, of the men that I met there and their names come to my mind, and the way they sang their songs and told their stories. They were very kind fellas as well. It was a poor time, and you wouldn't catch them drinking whiskey or gin or vodka. It was the time of the pint, and the pint was a shilling, and then it rose to one and threepence, which would be about seven or eight pence now. They were workers. It was... I don't want to sentimentalise them, but I know that they haven't much money, and they really appreciated the drink and each other's company, and they sang at night. And part two of that Brenda Connelly interview will be on Bowman tomorrow. Another old friend that we lost back in 2016 made a welcome return to the radio on Sunday night. So I still managed to get the Christmas countdown on the show. The late Terry Wogan there, or rather actor Al McKenna in Kenneth Sweeney's Wogan Sweet 16, which was the drama on one on Sunday night. It explored the battles Terry Wogan had with BBC bosses back in the day with his unique on-air style including how he irritated them by playing Frank Kelly's Governor O'Lunacy's 12 Days of Christmas on repeat, much to their annoyance. Governor O'Lunacy was on the 11th day of Christmas and as mad as a box of frogs. Day 11. You have scandalised my mother, your dirty Jezebel. 
This was bad enough to have eight mates of milk and dancing to punk music on the front lawn. But they've now been joined by your friends, the eleven lords a-leapin'. And the antics of the whole lot of them would leave the most decadent days of the Roman Empire looking like outlook. Mr Wogan, I really hoped we wouldn't have to take such a serious decision as banning a particular record. But you have brought this all on yourself. It's simply too much for our listeners to have an Irish presenter playing Irish comedy records on BBC Radio while an IRA bombing campaign is going on. At that point, Terry decided to invite his listeners to write in to support him. And amongst the pile of letters was one very special piece of correspondence. I asked for a meeting with the controller of BBC Radio 2, all the time knowing I had something special up my sleeve. God bless old government. I've had support from listeners. Your listeners don't matter, Mr Wogan. One listener does matter. No, they don't. As I told you at the previous meeting, this is the BBC and we are in charge. We tell you what you can and can't play, Mr Wogan. Can I read out this listener's letter? If you insist. Dear Mr Wogan, I'm writing to say how much I enjoy your wonderful radio show. And I am much amused by Frank Kelly's humorous record, The Christmas Countdown. I hope you will continue to play it on your programme. Signed, Her Royal Highness, the Queen, Buckingham Palace. Terry Wogan there is portrayed on the drama on one's production of Sweet Sixteen, which had won second prize in the 2020 P.J. O'Connor Awards. And while Terry was caught up in discussions and criticism in his work as portrayed there, the other aspect of Christmas that we don't really like to dwell on is that, the tensions and the discussions that can sometimes erupt at home over the holiday season. The basic truth, the kind of adult facts of life, that there's always going to be conversations that make us uncomfortable, cause us stress or make us feel awkward, that's just a fact of life. They're going to be a part of our life. On Monday's show... Dr Paul Dalton, clinical psychologist, was on hand to guide us through these potentially choppy waters. And Sarah Cormack, it seemed, had undertaken some personal research into this topic. So number one, and probably the most important, there are two words to avoid at all costs. Those two words are never and always. Always. I'm actually running it through my head like mm-hmm. various difficult conversations I've had uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the last couple of months. Um, and would say like, I mean, if you want to say, I feel like you always react like this when I say something. What I'd suggest, Sarah, is most of the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> even though it's always. <laughs> <laughs> now, this brings, up, this brings up the other really important point, Sarah. Okay? So here's another few words, right? Okay, In okay. my opinion, you know, okay. from my perspective. So when we introduce things like that, actually what happens is the nervous system begins to settle because I'm not threatened. I'm saying how I see this. Because when we get into the false dichotomy, into the black and white, that's what we're going to be met with. And that's when those conversations go really wrong. In, in my it, opinion, you <laughs> usually say this when <laughs> sit down there across at the table. Oh, to be a fly on the wall during the ad breaks there. Cormac and Sarah there with Dr. Paul Dalton. And not that you will need it, of course, but the full podcast of that conversation is available. But of course, nobody wants a full-blown row over the Brussels sprouts and cranberry sauce. But what if you want to really convey your unhappiness with somebody and express how you're, you know, really feeling? Well, there are other ways to communicate, as Joe found out on LiveLon on Wednesday. And this might help. I mean, after all, we are all looking for last-minute gifts inspiration. 
And Joe at RT.ie. Yvonne has contacted us. Yvonne, good afternoon. I never heard of this, um, but I'll let you try and explain it. You got an email from a jewellery company called Ella Grace. That's correct, Joe, yeah. Promoting jewellery with an engraved F off. Fully spelt out, by the way. Absolutely, yes, yeah. Just thought it was a bit inappropriate and mm-hmm. a bit, you know, at these times there's kind words we need and not okay, those kind so, of so just It was just two words, F off. Yes. And there was seven letters spelt out. There was no asterisks or... No, nothing, no. To, okay. A little disc on a chain. So you contacted, I emailed the company. Yes, they emailed back apologising and said it was actually for a specific audience uh-huh. that was tailored to meet those needs and it was obviously sent to a wider group in error. Who, yeah, would, who, yeah. would, who would buy it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I wonder. <laughs> it would certainly be a talking point as a family Chris Kindle present. Joe did dig deeper. Ellen Weber is co-owner of Ella Grace.ie. Now, Ella, what were you thinking of? Grace.ie launched in November. It's called the Impairments Collection. Myself and my business partners have been through very, very challenging breakups. Really hard and I suppose we went in on ourselves over the past two years. So it's flipping the kind of reverse, turning the pain into power and saying I'm who I am, this is how I feel and you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. And some of the messages on the necklace is yes, they can be a bit brash or whatever, but there's a gift to, you know, your friend, your cousin, your sister who's going through one of these difficult times. Have a bit of a laugh about it. You are who you are. Don't let it define you. You're going to get back up on your feet and you're going to push on. Mm-hmm. So you'd give it to your friend who'd open it on Christmas morning and he'd open up the little jewellery box, put up a ring with the phrase F off. I would suppose that you're not going to gift this necklace if you were kind of know that this person's going to understand where it's going to come from. What do I do with the ring when I wear it? It's just really for yourself. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm hardly telling myself to go and F off, am I? No, but it's just um, when you go on to Allegrace and you see the mm. product descriptions, we have it all about the reasoning behind pushing this kind of movement. It's not for everyone. My mother is not going to wear a necklace with this message. Did your mother say anything about it? My mum understands the meaning behind it. It's very tongue-in-cheek. Take back control, flip it and own it. OK, Yvonne, what do you think you. of that? Take back ownership, be empowered. Well, as a listener said, I wouldn't call that being empowered. Not kindness in it. You're now going to tell me it's your bestseller. What well, it will be after this. Yes, it, Joe, it's funny you say that it actually is. Would you not go for feck off? The other one's been actually quite popular overseas. Feck off is very Irish, I suppose. Yeah. Joe Duffy on Wednesday. Now, this bit was supposed to be about love and kindness and Christmas and goodwill. Over on Ray Darcy's show this week, we were back to love and the season of goodwill and the power of friendship. Well, I thought we were. It's, it's, it's very tense here today. Don't worry comes good, as Ray had lined up a surprise phone call for the first of his big thank you competitions for Christmas, who'd been nominated for his appropriately named daughter for a Christmas competition, Carol. How are you? Good, thank you. Okay, it's our first big Christmas thank you of this year and let's make that call. Here we go. Pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. Ringing anyway. Good loud ring. Hello. Hello, I was looking for Matt. You've got him. You're on RT Radio 1, live. (laughs) My name is Ray Darcy. Hi, Dad. How are you? (laughs) 
That's my daughter. It is. Your daughter, Carol. <laughs> it, it is. Daughter. Yes, it is. OK, listen, just so you can get your bearings, uh, I have an email that Carol wrote us um, about you. I'm <laughs> just about. <laughs> yeah. OK, here we go. Dear Ray, this man, once I know he is on the planet, I never worry about anything. As he says, it can be fixed. He is the kindest, most patient, generous person ever. My dad. He is my hero. In 2013, just as he retired, my beautiful mum, his soulmate, was diagnosed with cancer. He nursed my mum at home until she passed away in 2014. He often says to me that after they worked so hard all their lives, all they wanted was to go for coffee together and not to have to rush back to work or to children. It literally breaks my heart. Thank you, Dad, for everything you do for us and all the kind, warm things uh, you do for all. Kindness is everything and it costs nothing. But Dad... You've always said that to me. Love you with all my heart. Your daughter, Carol. There you go. I don't know how you are after that, but I'm a bit. God, the, the difficulty is that, um, you know, I feel so guilty because there are millions and millions of, of um, mums and dads out there that do far, far better than I've ever uh, done in my life. Oh my God. I expect you to say that, Dad. And Ray and Bits there. I think it's probably a good time to take a pause. Playback on RTE Radio 1. With one week to go to the big day, many of us will be feverishly hitting the shops today, online or in real life, to get the last of our Christmas gifts. But you know what? Ryan Tuberty had a clever tip on this. By the way, regifting. Regifting. I'm all ears. People are in two minds about the joys or otherwise of regifting. Because they think, is it a bit mean? Is it a bit tight? A bit, bit, bit what we used to say in school, scabby. Regifting is now being recast, which is great. Regifting has been given a new lease of life. Because if somebody says, did, did, you, did, I, did you not get this from someone else? You say, sustainable. Hmm? I'm being sustainable. Yes, that's your get out of jail card now. So when you're handing that tat you got from somebody else and you virtue signal the bejay out of it and say, that cushion looks like it was sat on once by somebody else. You say, sustainable, happy Christmas. Looks a bit grubby. Sustainable. That's <laughs> for the win. Ryan Tuberty has heard on Friday morning. But you know what? Christmas is expensive. Wouldn't it be great if you could just, I don't know, win the lottery to pay for it all? But the lottery, as we know, is a game of chance. I suppose it's going on so long now, it'd be good to see it won. And before Christmas has always been nice for a group of people, so why not? Since Bernard Durkin TD raised concerns that the €19 million Euro lotto jackpot hasn't been won since June, operators of the National Lottery are now seeking regulatory approval for a must-win draw. The lotto hasn't been won since June. Do you have any thoughts on that or do you play the lotto yourself? Killian Sherlock was out talking to people about how they felt about the lotto. I mean, it's indicate at work and we have spent so much money on it. So I think now they should have a win, no matter if they reduce the numbers or just let it say this has to be won this week, something like that, because it just can't go on. People will get fed up, they won't play or I don't know, but it's just it's a bit ridiculous. And so what they have done is they've started putting more money into the smaller amount, the next number down. Do you think that's a good solution or you just want to see it won? Well, that's been grand in the short term, but that can't go on really. They need to come up with a solution. And I believe they're going into the doll today, so hopefully we'll get some answers tonight. <laughs> it has my name on it, I'm sure of that. Audrey Carvel there, as heard on Wednesday's Morning Ireland. Meanwhile, Brian Dobson was thinking about the lotto too. 
The lotto jackpot was last won on the 5th of June, which is more than 27 weeks ago, and has been capped at just over €19 million Euros since the 29th of September. And Brian was joined in studio by Dr Brian Nolan, Associate Professor in the School of Mathematical Science at DCU, and he had been crunching the numbers. You've been running the slide rule. I don't know if you still use slide rules, but metaphorically running the slide rule over all of this. It's in the name. It's, it's a lottery. But what are the odds of this happening? The, yeah, the lot of going so long yeah. without a win? Very, very unlikely indeed. Um, and you can put some numbers on that. Any one line that's uh, bought for the lottery has a one in 10.7 million chance of winning. OK, because there are 10.7 million um, options for filling out a lottery ticket. Sorry, can you repeat that again? Any one line that's uh, uh, bought for the lottery has a one in 10.7 million chance of winning. Sales aren't published on a regular basis, so we have to kind of estimate on the basis of some of the evidence that's there from the number of match four winners every week. But it seems that somewhere in the region of 12 or 15 or maybe up to 18% of all possibilities are bought by somebody uh, for the draw. Let's take that figure of 12%. Mm -hmm. There's a 12% chance that somebody will win the jackpot on any given draw. And again, it depends entirely on how many tickets are bought for each draw. If we take that 12% as the odds of a jackpot, we have an 88% chance of rollover. But the odds of a rollover 54 times in a row, which is what we've seen, that's very low indeed. The National Lottery itself has quoted about 850 to 1. So pretty long odds of this happening. So really it's very, very unlikely indeed um, what we've just seen over the last six months. But of course, and I think you've made this point as well, that the lottery doesn't have a memory. It doesn't realise yeah. now we're at week 27 or whatever it might be. Bounced a little bit when he said it has to be won sometime. And yes, it will be won sometime, but the lottery, as you say, uh, Brian, doesn't have a memory. So the odds of a win, today's draw, mm-hmm. They're the same as they were on Saturday. It's going to depend on how many tickets are sold and those little ping pong balls bouncing around in the drum. Uh, they don't know that the right numbers didn't come out any time in the last six months. So again, it's it's 12% chance yeah. of a jackpot win tonight, depending on the sales. So I have to ask you, Brian, understanding better than most of us the huge odds against winning the jackpot to you, uh, mm. do you buy a ticket? <laughs> Well, I just came across this story and looked at the figures. Um, I felt I should, so I have bought a couple of tickets. <laughs> Did you win surprise, I didn't. I mean, that would have been uh, that would have been nice, wouldn't it? Uh, All right. Um, well, I suppose if you're talking about it, it's good to have some skin in the game. Dr. Brian nice Nolan time. from uh, DCU. Thanks very much for that. Okay. So parking the money side of Christmas. Maybe it's time to appreciate what we have for free at Christmas time in Ireland. It's the light, isn't it, that makes winter special in Ireland. Niall McCardle reminded us of that on Sunday miscellany. Certainly not the bone-chilling cold or the snotty damp, fog settling on the windows of the bus, a smiley face fingered on the glass by an unhappy schoolchild and steam rising off hunched shoulders in pubs and cafes while puddles form around your feet. But the light, that razor-thin glint of sunshine over the horizon that lengthens December shadows to 10, 20, 30 feet. In the depths of winter, the sun shines on the never-new for only a few hours, reminding us that we are, for better or worse, a northern country. Sure, we can pick a tapas and fork penne dishes and sip cappuccinos while sitting next to a giant heat lamp outside an overpriced gastropub. But let's face it, at heart we're Vikings, not Mediterraneans. Niall McArdle there on Sunday Miscellany. Over on Arena, meanwhile, they caught up with two young poets who'll have a very happy Christmas. 
Earlier today came the news that Emma Tobin and Lauren Green are the first winners of the new Ivan Boland Emerging Poet Award. The annual scheme is the brainchild of Poetry Ireland and Stanford University and was set up to honour the poet who died, of course, in April of 2020. I'm delighted to say that Emma Tobin is with me in studio now. What was the feeling when you heard that, yeah, you, you are going to be the joint winner of this inaugural award? I was totally overwhelmed. For me, poetry has always been a really private endeavour and I, I never expected that when I shared it with the judges that they would be impressed particularly by it, you know. I was just shocked but, but also really, really honoured to be recognised by an award that honours the life of somebody like Ivan Boland who was such an advocate for new voices, emerging poets mm. and especially poets from diverse backgrounds. And and where did you first come across the, the, the poetry of Ivan Boland? Where I got interested in writing poetry when I was around 16 but obviously I had no idea what I was doing. The way that I taught myself as writers learn is by reading as much poetry as I possibly could. So, you know, I picked up books of T.S. Eliot, Sylvia Plath, and I came, came across Ivan Boland, and I was just blown away to find an Irish poet who handled language so deftly and so interestingly. The way that she kind of cuts just barely beneath the skin of the world in a way that just reveals truths about human existence. She was one of the poets that I really tried to learn the most from. Right. Sean Rocks on Wednesday Night's Arena. Lyric FM presenter and soccer commentator George Hamilton is gearing up for his Christmas shows and we wanted to find out what pieces of music are likely to feature and George is here. You're very welcome, George. It's lovely to have you with us. And then to end, this week Claire Byrne has been inviting friends of the programme to join her in studio to share their favourite Christmas music tracks with her. On Tuesday morning, George Hamilton left the sidelines and donned his Lyric FM hat to bring Claire his choices. Now you're going to risk choosing a version of Oh Holy Night. <laughs> <laughs> I think the story of this is, is absolutely fascinating. It came from France in the 19th century. A gentleman by the name of Placide Clapeau had a, a shooting accident when he was a child. He lost his arm, so he and his education took him in a more literary direction and he ended up becoming a poet. His parish priest decided one Christmas that he wanted a new poem and so he charged Monsieur Clapeau with writing the poem and he worked on it and then he thought no, it, it needs a bit of music. So he came from a place called Rocamar, which is near Avignon in the south of France. He got in a stagecoach and he went off to Paris and he took his verses to Adolphe Adam, the composer who'd written the opera Giselle. He was intrigued at the thought of writing some Christmas music. So he took the verse and it got its uh, premiere on Christmas Eve in 1847. Now it went down very well but after a bit the church kind of took a dim view of it because it didn't really tell the whole story of Christmas. It was a bit too secular for their liking. And so it got bent. Somehow it crossed the Atlantic uh, where it was picked up by a Unitarian uh, minister called John Sullivan Dwight in Boston. So he, he kind of took... He tinkered with it. Yeah, tinkered with it, created the English lyrics, put it out again and it took off. Amazing. And it is what we have now. Oh, holy night. And you've chosen this very special version by Cara O'Sullivan, who mm. people will, of course, be mindful of at this time yeah. of year too. Cara passed away not that long ago and her passing brought out such a wave of fondness in her public that they really, really missed her. She was a lovely lady. I had the good fortune of meeting her. And just to, to remember her at this time, I think, uh, with, with one of the most beautiful and universally liked Christmas songs. George Hamilton has heard with Claire Byrne. And to end... The much missed soprano Caro Sullivan sings us out this festive morning. Nolly Connor, Div Galer.
Playback was presented and produced by Evelyn O'Rourke. And if you hear any standout radio moments that you think might be worthy of inclusion on the programme, pop an email to playback at rte.ie. Playback on RTE Radio 1. 